Getting a good night's sleep, much easier said than done, but don't worry because our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to help unwind and sleep harder than all-star voters slept on Bam out of Bio. Sleep PM bath salts fuse superior CBD and melatonin with a mixture of Epsom, Dead Sea, and Himalayan salts to turn any bathtub into a luxury spa experience and give you the relaxation you desperately deserve. To make it even easier to relax, regroup, and recharge, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off when you order your next uh, order from CBDMD.com with the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, CBDMD.com with the promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On NBA Podcast. We are your regular co-hosting team on Wednesdays. I'm John Corrales. I host the Locked On Celtics Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. And I'm waiting for Nick Angstead to say hi now, too. I know, all right? Like, I thought for sure he would show up in the middle of... He's hosted yesterday... Uh, the day before, two two straight days, I thought he'd just pop in randomly and just maybe he has like a, a radar or something, a little a little tracking beacon implanted in his head. Once Locked On NBA starts recording, he's going to show up. It'd be, like if this was a TV show, he'd like show up in your Zoom. And, it's like, like a horror movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So today, like you say last, Locked it's On little, NBA and Nick Angstad appears. <laughs> it's Locked On Nick Angstad. Today's show, this is the last show before we get back to basketball and the all-star break, the mini all-star break ends. So in the third season, we'll check in on the mid-season awards. Segment two will be a very interesting conversation, I think, on the uh, on this piece from ESPN Plus uh, that's headlined, NBA insiders say all these threes are reaching a critical mass, which is an interesting enough headline. But we have to start, unfortunately, with Myers Leonard of the Miami Heat, who on a Twitch stream of some video game dropped a an anti-Semitic slur. He has since issued an apology, which is not being received very well. We'll just put it that way. Um, now, I'm not going to use the language that he he used, but it was a uh, it's an obscure or not very often used uh, anti-Semitic slur. I, I wouldn't go th- that far, but it's, you know, if you were to think of a, a slur towards Jewish people, that's probably the one you're thinking of, to be perfect. It? It's just not something you normally hear, I think is a way to put it. That's, yeah. like, that's it's a better just way to put it. It's not a word you hear a ton of. That's correct. That, that's the better way to put it. So in Myers Leonard apology, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, um, he says, quote, I'm deeply sorry for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live stream yesterday. While I didn't know what the word meant at the time, my ignorance about its history and how offensive it is to the Jewish community is absolutely not an excuse, and I was just wrong. It's all over the internet, so you can you can read it. Um, Jake, it's hard, it's hard to take him at his word for this because if you watch the video, he pauses, he rifles through his Rolodex of things that he wants to say in a clear, he's clearly looking to find something to call the person he's playing against. 
He's looking to call this person something as an insult, and that's the word that he chose. So it's hard for me to say, uh, to, to take what he said here. Uh, I didn't know what the word meant at the time. I, it's hard for me to believe him. So I, there's, I have, I read this one of two ways and both ways are bad. And I say, this is someone who is half Jewish. So this hits a little bit closer to home. And when I heard this, I was like immediately appalled. I'm trying not to like shake talking about this, but that's like how much anger I have over something like this, uh, as we all should have over any situation sure. like this, right? It's not a unique to me thing here. So I want to be clear on that. So uh, the the again, it's like tough to kind of compose my thoughts on this. the The first one is he knew what he was doing, and he deliberately chose this word as a slur and to denigrate somebody. And that's horrible. there's There's no need to do that. And if he does that, it says a lot about him and what his true beliefs are. And this is a guy who did stand for the national anthem when his teammates kneeled. And I don't think these two are necessarily related. But in the optics of it, there's some tie in there, I think, to some degree with it. And I don't think you can not mention it. It's bad. Like, it's bad. He said something horrible that he should feel awful about and should have severe consequences too. And then if you do want to take him at his word, this is where it gets a little bit more problematic to me. As, as you said in your description of it, he, he pauses before really delivering this, right? This wasn't just said kind of casually, like... He rifled through, as you said, a Rolodex of, of negative things you could say to someone and decided to choose this. Say he didn't know what this word means, and it is what he's saying. The situation is what he's saying that it is. He's clearly trying to find something offensive to call this person in Call of Duty. Right. He is deliberately trying to call this person something to something that has a that is a slur or, or denigration, whatever word, you know, however you want to describe it. And I think that is the bigger part here. He deliberately tried to say something incredibly hurtful to someone else. The other thing is dude's 29, right? This is in his vocabulary. You don't just use words that you've never heard of before. It's not like he had never heard this before and decided today, Oh, I'm just going to come up with this word and say it. If you, so he's used this word before is the point I'm trying to make. Right. At that point, if you know you've been using a slur, maybe look up what it means. And like ignorance here and what he's trying to claim is such, I'm going to swear, it's bullshit. It's such bullshit about this. And his apology is so hollow. And I, I, I need to like take a second. Yeah, no, to be that's, perfectly no it's, it's, I, I get it because the, the, what you're saying is correct. It, you got to use context here to evaluate what he said. And when you watch what he said, he was searching for a word to hurt the other person, friendly or not. Like you and I out at a bar and we're doing something competitive and I want to bust your balls and I'm trying to think of a word to bust your balls. That's that that's how guys interact. Okay. So He's in a situation, in a competitive situation where he wants to bust somebody's balls. Okay, fine. So he runs through what he's going to say. He's looking for something in that vein and he chooses this word. He then, that means he knows that this word is negative. This, it's not like, yes. you know, like, it's not like he was, you know, calling you uh, a nickname or he's calling you, you know, Hey shithead or anything like that. He knows that this word yeah. is something negative. Um, 
And and the reason why I use the word obscure in the beginning of it, maybe incorrectly, is because to highlight because you don't hear the word very often, like that's not just something that you randomly hear. This isn't a situation yeah, where it's, it's not like you. It, it's, yeah, I'm with you. I get it. It's like it's it's not. Uh, like again, I I'm only half Jewish, so I don't go through this as much as other people do, and I don't want to say it's like not something you hear because I'm sure there's people who hear it all the time. But when you look at, say, the news and some of the words that are being said and things that are being covered, this isn't in that like zeitgeist as sure. much, I guess, as other words are right now. I think that's maybe the best way to kind of phrase it without trying to like take away from someone else's experience. So let's let's like look at this now moving forward. Like, why is this like we have to understand here that anti-Semitism isn't treated the same way as racism. If he had used the N-word in that in that moment. I think the reaction would have been more swift, maybe a little bit more kind of angry or whatever. Um, I think there is a reaction to what Myers Leonard said that's a little bit more tempered because it's on the anti-Semitic side and it's just treated differently. So one thing I hope that comes out of this is that we understand that the anti-Semitism is at the same level. It's different than racism in some ways, but it's at the same level as racism and it should be treated as such. So some of the dismissive kind of attitudes that I've seen just in the initial aftermath, we have to, we have to kind of attack that and, and make people understand that this is, this is serious and hurtful and um, it's, it's has no place in our society. And then we just hope that by discussing this, and I know people, people might be sitting here saying it's a basketball podcast, but Look, there are there are Jewish basketball fans, there are Jewish basketball players. There, you know, this is this uh, this impacts everybody. We need to have this discussion so people understand what's what's out there, what's being said and and that this is this is something that needs to be punished by the NBA, needs to be highlighted and discussed. Yeah, so that's where this discussion shifts to like what happens next, right? You know, he he's out for the season. He's got a team option for for next year which I, even before this i don't know if the heat would have picked up at 10.25 million dollars right certainly not really a big part of it going forward and this is probably going to kind of hasten that or, or i think it should to some degree but the league needs to have some some swift punishment here's the thing i wouldn't be shocked that they make a huge example out of him at all this, this is a guy who's going to be a role player at best going where you want. I don't think they'll ban him from the league, but if you did it, is that a big loss for the NBA if Myers Leonard is not in here anymore? It's not. So I would be, I would not be shocked if the league comes in pretty, pretty harsh here more to make a show of this. The real question is, does that punishment then change anything in the future? Yeah. I don't know if they're going to go quite as far as, um, I don't know. I don't know. Suspension uh, or, or I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. I can't even begin to guess what the appropriate, uh, the appropriate punishment is here. Um, do you, it should look, they, they ran Donald Sterling out of the league and forced an owner to sell for being racist. Right. I don't think you necessarily run him out of the league, but there is some sort of precedent for really, really stiff punishment over a, a somewhat similar incident. 
Right. I mean, I mean, I will, I will just push back a tiny bit on on that because Donald Sterling had a very long history of that's a good racist point. That's a good point. policies, and and he was a a, a landlord, slumlord. You're, you're right. You know, this is this is one word which I don't want to minimize it and say like I'm defending him. This is a an incident. No, no, the, that's that's really good context. So you're right. I agree with you, but also. I don't want it to be like, oh, here's $50,000. And like, there needs to be, and I think this, the punishment needs to be more, I think, creative in a lot of ways than punitive. Because if you, if you kick them out for a year, let's say, over this, what you do is you mobilize the other side and say, look at this. He said, you know, one thing and they're, they're whatever. Like, there, there has to be a punishment element to this, which again, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know it's appropriate, but I do believe there has to be some sort of creative kind of PSA type of thing, um, an education program, something along the lines that takes that that punishes him for what he did, makes him understand that it was wrong, but also in a lot of ways rehabilitates him uh, to some degree and at least makes him understand like, okay. I, I didn't understand maybe the weight of the word. You knew what the word meant, let's be honest, but maybe you didn't understand the weight of the word and you don't also understand that as an NBA player, this you have a responsibility. So now you have now double the responsibility to go out there and, and lead a campaign to say, here's what I did and the public embarrassment of admitting this is punishment partly and say, look, these words are wrong. Anti-Semitism is wrong, and we need to make sure that we're not casually, flippantly anti-Semitic thinking that it's okay. Yeah, I mean, look, there's going to be something coming down. There's no way the league can let this just kind of slide. All right, there's going to be a lot more conversation about this moving forward, and uh, I'm sure you're going to see it all over the place. It's Again, I think it's worth the conversation, and I think the – Turning up, turning a negative into a positive is something I'm I'm really big on. This is a good conversation for people to be enlightened on. Hey, this is not right. So let's let's see how this conversation uh, continues and moves forward. When we return, uh, we're going to get back to the basketball court and get uh, talk about three pointers and this concept that three pointers now have hit some sort of critical mass in the NBA. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets combat all forms of ED and can help men gain extra confidence for when it's time to perform. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive their prescription within days. The best part is that it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? That's not a problem. Blue Chew's sildenafil and tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, so they're prepared and shipped direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and safety information. We've got a special deal for our listeners. 
Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code Locked On at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Locked On to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Wednesday on the Locked On Today podcast, there was a lot of player movement in the NFL on Tuesday. Who are the winners and who are the losers? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN had a wonderful piece on its ESPN Plus headlined NBA insiders say all these threes are reaching a critical mass. And the, the basic conversation is that we've now hit a point where the threes are are becoming not just a weapon but and not just the primary weapon but overwhelmingly something that uh has gone almost out of whack and uh, there was an interesting stat in here including playoffs 61 games in NBA history Jake have featured at least 90 combined three point attempts 45 of those have occurred since the start of last season, which is insane. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, that's a pretty 61%. ridiculous number. It's so the, the question here in the debate with the three pointers is at what point does it become too much? We just saw in the all-star game. They had this, and it's obviously exaggerated because it's the All-Star game, but not really that much because we got Logo Lillard. They're pulling up from half court, taking normal freaking jumpers and drilling them. Yep. So when you combine the ability for some of these guys to pull up from, from wherever, from like 40 feet away, you now have... Influence because now I'm just coming from the Celtics perspective. I talked to Jalen Brown after the game and he's like, I got a lot to learn from these guys. So what's Jalen Brown going to do? He's <laughs> going to start trying to add, you know, pull up from further out. Jason Tatum has talked about, I need to expand my range. So it's not enough to just be a 40% three point shooter. You've got to pull from 35. You've got to pull from 38 because when you pull a defense out to guard you, then you've got super space and it becomes impossible to defend because you can't touch any of these guys. So what what happens now in the NBA? Right. Look, and, and this is a real thing. The All-Star Game showed it. I was listening to local sports radio here in New Orleans and here's my weird kind of story of the day. They they were talking about how like the NBA All-Star Game used to be a, a dunk fest, right? And instead he, he, and maybe this is a poor choice of words, referred to it as a jack fest in terms of like jacking up threes. Probably not the word I'd use to, uh, to describe it, but I get what he's saying, right? Like that's kind of what it was. Like they were just launching threes in that game. It was very different than what we're used to seeing. So they probably do need to do something and the, you know welcome to like another edition of Jake and John so- solve the NBA's problems here again the check Adam Silver please just mail it in anytime <laughs> 
I, I actually I actually don't have a good answer to this one because like I'm not really sure what to do. If you if you just expand the three point line, these dudes are pulling up from half court. Like, are, are you putting the three point line there, right? But it's very clear to me that to some degree the game needs to evolve a little bit more. And you see the NFL do this to some degree, right? They've changed rules for extra points when basically those were just automatic. They've changed other rules in terms of kickoffs. Maybe it's to make it safer or what have you. But the game evolves as the players have evolved and I'm a, I'm a big racing guy and I'm a big Formula One fan too and you know the formula is the makeup of the car and every 10 years or so they really change that when those teams have kind of engineered the cars to perfection so that the sport retains a lot of its interest so that maybe there's more of a level playing field that's a reason to watch again you know, maybe the NBA needs to look at more of like somewhat of like a living rule set rather than something like etched in stone to some degree. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And this, some of this stuff has been proposed in 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 this piece. Like one of the possibilities is limiting the amount of three point attempts that are allowed in a game. Like you have that's a great way to at least kind of start the conversation, right? So. Uh, you're you're capped at twenty somewhere between twenty and twenty five three pointers per game. So it becomes a um, a tool that you say, okay, let's not take our three pointers early. Let's start the first half, second second quarter, you know, first and second quarters by getting more dribble penetration, and then we save the three pointers for the second half. Let's say when we might need them. Uh, that that's that's certainly uh, you know mm-hmm. a strategy. You, somebody might say, "No, let's bomb away right away. Let's see if we've got it going, and then we can figure out from there." Because if you if you hit hit somebody with a thirty point lead in the first half, then you can penetrate later on. But it also changes how they defend you. Like if they know you don't have any three pointers left, yeah. then they just back way off and pack the paint. So like there's a there's a lot right. of there's a lot of like back and forth here with these. The The heart of the issue is, and again, this is highlighted in the piece, a three-pointer is worth 50% more than a two-pointer. But when you step back from that two-point line, somewhere in that two-point range, behind the three-point range, it's not 50% tougher. So the reward is bigger than the task that you're asked these you're asking these guys to perform. So capping the number is one option. Changing the point totals is another option. Changing how those are scored is another option. Maybe they become the 2.5 pointers and we just say, this is, this is how it is now. Right. You know, it's, it's what, what, you know, it's always a question I get on Twitter, especially with like Zion scoring at the rim at will, which is interesting to see how that might play into something like this with a player like that in the league where someone, you know, is always like, how much do you have to shoot from three to equate to shooting from two for them to be even? And some, you know, so maybe you do need to change the point total because you make a really good point there. It's not significantly harder, 50% more harder to shoot that three-point shot than it is to shoot a long mid-range jumper. And that's why you've seen teams get away from it. It's just much more efficient and effective to shoot the shot that has virtually the same shooting percentage, uh, but you get an extra point for it. So, 
Yeah, changing the point totals is probably the easiest way to go with it. And now with, I wonder with the NBA kind of taking a little bit more charge of the G League, can you test some of these rules there a little bit more and have some weird exhibition games and do enough of them where you get a large enough sample size to see if you can test what how would it go if you only get 33s per game or whatever the number might be or if the point totals are different or some combination of all of that. Because uh, you've you got to start prepping for this years in advance, right? Like if they want to make these changes, it's not like it's going to be in there next season. It's probably like six, seven years down the line, which means you need to start actively phasing a lot of this in right now if you want that to be the yep. case. And then, then you know what? This also brings up one last question here. Well, actually, many questions, but the one other question is, how big of a problem is this really? Like there. We're talking about it like this is a serious problem or a significant problem. Is this part of what's causing some of the uh, the lower ratings? Like, and I know some of the older older fans are, are definitely they don't want to see it because the game, as I've said here before, and a lot of people have said, it becomes a little bit more homogenous. If you look at the shot charts from every team twenty years ago versus the shot shot charts from every team this year, the ones 20 years ago are all over the place. Some of them are heavy in the middle. Some of them are heavy mid-range. Some of them are a little heavier on the outside. Now, everybody's shooting threes. Everybody's trying to get to the rim. And maybe a couple of teams are a tiny bit more mid-range heavy than others, but you're still going to see that big horseshoe around the, the, the top where everybody's shooting from, and then a little concentration around the middle, maybe a little bit more for like Zion Williamson teams around the middle of the rim. <laughs> but that's, it's all basically. Dude, it's like six shots outside of the restricted area all year long. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. My, my, favorite, my favorite stat, I think, from the first half was at one point, he was averaging over 20 points a game just on points in the paint. But, but it takes yeah. a Zion to make that no, it, it, happen. But, but, no, no one does that, right? Like that's that's the thing. He's such a unique player and almost like an oddity because no one else is doing something like that, and no one's really capable of doing that. So that's a big part of the problem. It, it, so you hit on the point of why this is a concern. It's it's really homogenous. Every team kind of seems the same, right? And whichever team is going to shoot better from three is likely going to win the game, and it's just really that simple. That's not all that exciting. And if you're getting casual people to try and turn in for highlights and monster plays, is it a dude splashing a three just from the three-point line? It's different when it's logo Lillard, right? Pulling up from 50 feet away. But a dude just hitting a normal three, it's nice. I get excited about it depending on the player and how pretty his shot is, but does just kind of the casual fan versus someone banging inside down low and posterizing someone. And frankly, that's probably more exciting to other people. So I definitely think when people try and point to all of the different things of why ratings are down, this one, I actually think there's some credibility to it. I don't know to what degree, but I definitely think there is something there. Yeah, I, I think I think there's certainly some fatigue for... Um the fan who thinks, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. The team that hits the most three-pointers is generally going to win. Like that's, you know, you can just boil it down to that. Did you get hot from three? Great. Then the rest of the game doesn't even really matter because you got hot from three and you're getting three right. points instead of two for every shot you take. And so you win. Congratulations. Doesn't matter if you, you the other team shot 49%. You shot 39% from three and you're going to go off. Uh, and it also produces some weird results. Like before the the break, the Celtics played the Raptors, and the Raptors hit twenty one three pointers and lost. Like that's 
just unheard of. Now, how do you how do you hit 21 three-pointers and lose an NBA game? That's happening a lot more often, especially this season. So this is another discussion. This is just going to happen on and on and on. And for, for a long time, especially as the three-pointers keep moving further and further away. Up next, we're going to wrap up the show with a look at the mid-season awards. We're literally at the middle of the season. So we're going to do actual mid-season awards when we come back. Now, we've been telling you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar on the market for a long time. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great, amazing, awesome-tasting protein bar. It's got 100% chocolate on all its bars. Now it's time to figure out which one is the best, which Built Bar is the best, and we're doing it in March because it's Built Bar Madness. And today's matchup, matchup number one, Jake, banana nut bread versus toffee almond. What do you think? Oh, give me, give me, I don't like bananas. Give me toffee almond every single time. Oh, really? I'm going banana nut bread on this one. Uh, this second one, I think everybody who knows me knows which way I'm going to vote, but orange versus peanut butter. So I actually like the fruit flavors, but peanut butter is the go-to and a staple, and that's the one you've got to pick. Peanut butter is the way to go, for sure. Look, you guys can go vote at BuiltBar.com. It's right there, today's matchups. Or go to at Built underscore Bar on Twitter to vote. There are a lot of great flavors. We're going to figure out which one is the absolute best. Remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That is a LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest way to bet on your sports action. I would love to see if Bet Online could put some odds on this Built Bar Madness. But if they don't, probably not. But <laughs> it's the only thing that they're not going to have odds on because they've got all sports around the world, even over here, the NBA, college basketball, NHL, baseball is coming up. Uh, they cover awards, TV shows, reality TV. Go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code Locked On to get a 50% welcome bonus. So if you deposit 200 bucks with your first deposit, you're going to get a $100 welcome bonus. That's how this works. BetOnline's got you covered for all the news, scores, odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. And that promo code Locked On gets you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Please gamble responsibly. March Madness is only a few weeks away, but the future of the NBA is on display right now. Get a head start on this year's draft analysis by subscribing to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Draft guru, the GOAT, Chad Ford, has released his Big Board 2.0 with profiles of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and more. Subscribe to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're in the middle of the season. Time for mid-season awards. Uh, usually when people do mid-season awards at the All-Star break, it's usually two-thirds of the season gone. So, But the, I think this year's awards are kind of interesting because there, there are some that are maybe not as, as, as kind of figured out right now. I think one that might be figured out at this point is Rookie of the Year. Jake, do you think that th- yes. this is like LaMelo Ball's to lose? Let's just give this to LaMelo Ball right now and not have to worry about this one for the rest yeah, of the year. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty clear. I mean, he leads he leads the rookies in points, assists, rebounds, uh, steals. 
it's you know there there are some guys out there that are having really good seasons and there's a possibility that if the Sacramento Kings are uh if they make a run and Tyrese Halliburton is part of that fuel for the run he's been then maybe he can get very into good this. but i it would take it would also take LaMelo kind of falling off yeah, I, I think he's pretty safe in this. In general, like the the awards, this one's the one that I think is the most definite. The other ones don't have like a ton of names attached to them, but I think if you come down to like two guys in some of these, it's a really good debate on which one would win, even if it's not, you know, five, six names in the running for some of this. Um. So what do you want? Do you want to do like six man of the year? Yeah, we, we can. Uh, so that one also might be solved to some degree, to be perfectly honest, when you really think about it. But yeah, let's, we can jump to six man of the year. All right, so who do you think is the lock? J- Jordan Clarkson from the Jazz, right? Like, uh, I, I can't think of anyone else who really jumps out of my mind who's such a key guy for their team. You know, they have the best record in the league. He has been so important for them off the bench. Like, he, I, like, I would be shocked right now if anyone has another name instead of his at the top. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, unless you throw in Joe Ingles, <laughs> his, his team area, has he, uh, no, I think, I think it's Clarkson. I think you're right. I'm just trying to figure out like who else might be, uh, in the running. There, there just isn't any Clarkson has been such a big part of that team. So that, that is an obvious one. Uh, what else? We want to go to uh coach of the year. Who do you think the coach of the year is at this point? Because uh, I think this is where you start to get. I got two names. A few candidates. Okay, two names. I got, I got two in this. Um, either Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks or Quinn Snyder with the Jazz. You've got, you know, the the coach of the best team in the league, kind of greater than the sum of their parts. Like the Jazz are are very much title contenders based on what we've seen from them, and like the Knicks are competent. Like that should get you into coach of the year running just by itself. Like he has them trying hard. He's got a lot of buy-in from guys that we never would have really seen this from before. Like Julius Randle, whose name might come up in another award here. It's pretty impressive. Like what Tibbs has done there. Yep. Uh, that, that is for sure. Um, uh, I think those two names are going to get to the top uh, of the list. Obviously um, with Utah being uh, at the top of the league, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, how about Monty Williams with Phoenix? Yeah. You know, that's a good one to throw in there too. I think, I think Monty, and this is, this is the classic, which team is overperforming, right? So we look at teams that are overperforming, like Steve Nash, should he get any coach of the year consideration with Brooklyn? I mean, he's, he does have to manage egos and blah, blah, blah. Probably not. He's probably not going to get a whole lot of love because the talent is so high. Like, I think like you and I could coach yeah. that team. Just stand there. Like, hey, Katie, what do you want to do? Oh, you okay? Let's go. Let's go do that. Um, uh, <laughs> I think one possibility that may emerge late if Milwaukee can make a run. I wouldn't be surprised if Budenholzer gets at least maybe not the actual voting, but I think Budenholzer enters the conversation. If Milwaukee goes and they're only two games out of first, but if Milwaukee gets to the top of the East, I think Budenholzer gets some love because the bucks have actually changed their style. 
They're changing their offensive style to try to take away some of the things that have been uh, hindering them in the in the in the playoffs. Like they're the whole uh, putting somebody in the dunker spot to avoid the the wall and, and changing some of their defensive principles. That's actual coaching that people actually see. It is. I wonder if there's some bucks for fatigue in some of the voting, yep. you know, particularly like Giannis when it comes to MVP. He's also a two-time coach of the year already. I wonder if that hurts him to some degree. But yeah, sure. Look, look, if they end up rising to the top of the East, he's going to be in the conversation, right? Yep, definitely. But I think I think it might end up being at, at this point, I think Quinn Snyder is the leader or very maybe, maybe Thibodeau is the leader. Because Thibodeau is actually the guy who's got. I see like, it those between being those two guys. Yeah, like that's that's the thing. The buy-in he's yeah. got from some of these guys that have never really bought into a coach before. I mean, that's coaching too, right? Yeah, yeah. like that's. So so okay. So I'll, I'll amend that. I, I agree. Thibodeau is going to be probably the number one guy, but you know Snyder for sure is because again he's you talk about coaching. He's he's the one that's got them to change their offensive style. He's the one that's got them shooting a bunch more threes to the point of our second segment conversation. He's adjusted how they play, and this is the result of a change in coaching uh, approach. So basically the same team, similar team, changing the style, and now they're the top seed. So those two guys are certainly going to fight it out. Um, let's go... Uh, let's go most improved player. Is this where you you were dropping the Julius Randle? Yeah, so this is where I, I, I'm I think there's this one's probably pretty open, right? You've got Jeremy Grant from the Pistons who's taken on a much larger role and has kind of exploded his points per game. Um, and he's putting up almost 10 more points per game than he ever has in his uh, any other season. It's going to open some eyes, right? But like Julius Randle and what he's done, again, the Knicks are like kind of a feel-good story, right? They've been miserable for a long time. They're competent this year. He's carried that team probably, I think is safe. And he's bought in defensively. Like he he looks like a different guy on the defensive side of the ball. And I got to watch him pretty closely for a year there. And there wasn't a whole lot to see. So I, I give it to him based on that. But I also think Jeremy Grant's a guy that you, if you really just want to see a big jump in terms of like counting statistics, I don't have a problem with that necessarily. Yeah, Grant for sure. I think he's going to be hurt by Detroit just being bad. So you've got Randall making you know a jump, doing things that he's not he hasn't been known for. Like you can say with Jeremy Grant, like yeah, he got more opportunity on a bad team and his numbers rose. Okay, great. But Randall's actually doing things that like he's defending. He's he's doing things. He's passing better. Uh, yeah, he was already a pretty good passer. Now he's not elite, but he's upped that a little bit too. I think so. I've been I've been really impressed with him and like the improvement I've seen from him too. More to me than I think anything else is I, like I'm buying in of him as being this kind of player going forward. Yeah, I mean, look, may, maybe he just needed to be around Tom Thibodeau to to kind of it's just a right situation. But his assists have doubled. His three point shooting has gotten it's up ten percent. So I think Randall is certainly the guy at the top of the list. Uh, if Christian Wood can come back and and dominate for the Rockets, he's a guy that's going to be in in the mix. Let me just throw a little vote for Boston's Jalen Brown, who is such an improved player. Um, I, I just his style, the things that he's able to do, uh, his shooting, his attacking, like that's something that I see kind of on a micro level. I don't think he's going to be the most improved player, but 
I just want to inject some Jalen Brown into this conversation. Um, let's wrap it up. Let's just get to the MVP. Who is the midseason MVP? And I think this is where uh, there is definitely some room for debate. Um, think right now, for me, I, I gotta go. I gotta go. Joel Embiid with for my vote. Uh, he's he's just been playing so well uh, for the top team in the East, and uh, I think he's the obvious center of the top one of the top teams that's you know one of the number one seeds versus like Utah where you can spread a lot of that love around so while there may not be a, a true MVP candidate on um on Utah there might be more like all NBA candidates yeah so I, I don't have a problem with Joel Embiid at MVP I probably still give it to LeBron narrative the Lakers, like the fact that he's doing, he's playing this high of a level at that age is unbelievably impressive to me. And I wonder if maybe he gets a little bit of love from the Lakers winning the title last year. And that somehow carries over into this, even if it shouldn't. But I have no problem with Joel Embiid. I'd probably go LeBron Embiid and then James Harden in third, I think. Harden, he's, we talked about this before. He's, he's moved up, uh, in the, in this ranking. I'm going to put Jokic ahead of, of Harden right now. That's fair you too. Know, I, I don't have a problem. I just with that. think like Denver, as as much as they as, as they've had some problems, Denver is still twenty one and fifteen, and so they're only a couple of games behind the Brooklyn Nets. And where are they without like where are they without Jokic? Like without Jokic, they're do, do they even have ten wins at this point? So there's there's still a good team. Yeah, and he's he's the obvious reason why they're still a good team. No, and he does things we've just never seen. We talked about it last week, right? Like we should be marveling at this dude and what he does more so than we we do because he makes it look so mundane and easy, but he's a very special and then player. I, I would put him, I think I would put him second. Uh, look, LeBron, this is this is admittedly some, I don't want to say. It's like, it's like you're a Boston guy no, or something. Hey, hey, look, I'm not, I am not the opposite of Anthony Irwin. I don't sit there and look at the Lakers and just cringe in disgust. But the point I'm making here is they they come into this break or come out of this break having lost uh, seven of ten and they've dropped to the third seed and without Anthony Davis all of a sudden they started losing and you really there's an argument that can be made that obviously LeBron is playing at an MVP type level and I'm not saying a vote for LeBron is the wrong vote sure that's that's a perfectly legitimate vote but. When you're looking around, you say Embiid at this point is Moxie. leading his team to the number one seed in the East. Jokic has has been the only reason why Denver has been successful and has been doing some amazing things. And sure, the Lakers have been playing great and they came out hot and LeBron was the leader in the chase before, but this dip that they took after Anthony Davis came out uh, was hurt. You start to say like, well, is Anthony Davis the more valuable Monty. player on that team? I see what you're saying. Like, look, the, the, the losing definitely hurts them. Yeah, and the losing hurts. Like, record in this matters, and when you when you start playing poorly, like that's a right. that's a big deal, he, right? Look, they they can go on a five game winning streak, and then LeBron's in the lead again. So, like, he's still there, 
And he does have, like you said, the age narrative. He does have other things that are, um, are in his favor. Um, let me, I, I know he said we're going to wrap it up. Let, let's do this real quick so we don't get in trouble with the boss because we're already going to get in trouble by going long. <laughs> Defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Uh, I'd give it to Simmons over Gobert by a little bit and Joel Embiid dropping 40 on Gobert right before the All-Star break might kind of, you know, his teammate lighting up the dude might kind of have a thing to do with okay. that. Okay, okay. Good choices all around. I'm going to go with Rudy Gobert just because I want to. Yeah, he's sure. true. He's probably going to end up winning it by the end. Because it's a big man's award, and he's going to end up winning it. And I'm sure David Locke can come on here and and give you a million advanced analytics as to why. So we'll leave it at that. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, Please leave the show a five-star rating, a good written review, if you can, wherever that's possible. On Wednesdays, I am one of your regular co-hosts, John Corrales. I host the Lockdown Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't subscribed yet, new shows every week. We'll talk to you next time.